0: This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Christopher Wojak.
1: I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get caught up in a little bit of the um, the kind of cultural anxieties. You know, I think some Christians, I mentioned earlier that religiosity is a protective factor. That's true. There's also research on ways that um, religiosity can correlate with mental health, deleterious mental health effects. And sometimes different faith traditions will emphasize different aspects of their theology. And suppose they emphasize a lot of this kind of um, us versus them mentality. I could see that causing perhaps some distress. And I think that's part of every Christian's journey. I mean, I think anyone coming from a faith tradition at a certain point has to work through these questions of, I have beliefs that are very, very dear to me that most people don't share. And how do I balance that without becoming reactionary and like retreating from public life, but also, and, or without, um, you know, like irritating everyone I know. (laughs) but also without compromising the things that are most important to me. So that's, those are maybe the prompts to bring to prayer, to meditation, and ultimately also to dialogue with other people, other Christians who have answered those questions in their own ways.
0: You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I'm a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I hope your week is going well and you're looking forward to my conversation today with Chris Wojak. We dive into what his practice uh, as a music therapist in a Christian Catholic uh, based setting looks like and also just talk about how this this balancing act of being both a music therapist and a Christian is balancing act we all do by being a music therapist and whatever else we are in life. Balancing our labels, our identities, our faiths, our beliefs, um, how we present ourselves professionally, and we talk about you know where boundaries are set. Um, Chris also has so many wonderful resources for other people looking to explore, you know, these questions about incorporating faith into their clinical practice and where the research lies in doing that. And he also just poses some wonderful reflective questions about um, making decisions for yourself of how balancing this may look like for you. So it was a wonderful conversation. I think I say a couple times that and again it was great mix of resources and personal experience dialogue. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we dive into that though, I just wanted to check in in case you haven't already heard episode 87 where Kate Shannon of Creative Therapy Umbrella and I talked all about our new platform, the Music Therapy Podcast Collective. You can hear more detail about that in episode 87, but the Music Therapy Podcast Collective is a platform we've created to provide CMTEs through listening to podcasts. So yes, this is not a drill. Real life. You can get CMTEs for listening to the show. It took us a long time to figure out how to do it, but we've done it. And we have four, yes, four courses that are now live over at MT. Podcastcollective.com. Please head over there, check them out, uh, see what you're interested in, and get ready for our launch on February 2nd. One of our big aspirations through MTPC is to be able to donate to scholarships and create scholarships for the music therapy field. So during this launch period, 50% of all sales will be donated to music therapy scholarships. We're really excited about that. Um, We will continue to donate a portion of all sales to scholarships throughout the life of MTPC. But during this launch period, 50% of um, your purchase will go towards scholarships. And if you're a podcaster and this idea excites you, we want to collaborate with you. So reach out. uh, You can get... An email to us at mtpodcastcollective at gmail.com. Obviously, if you're listening to the show and you're a podcaster, you probably know other ways to get in contact with us too, but that email's there. Um, And if you're listening to this, you're just, and not a podcaster, but excited for this, you can also shoot an email there um, or follow us online on social media at mtpodcastcollective. Can you tell I'm really excited about this, guys? If you want to hear more, check out episode 87, where Kate and I, again, talk more about this. But for now, let's get back into this episode with Chris. Uh, If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. Our website is musictherapychronicles.com, and there you can sign up for our newsletter. Um... And I hope to see you there and on social media. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty well. It's a little snowy here, but it kind of feels nice. It feels cozy and wintry, and I have some hot tea with me, so I'm feeling pretty good. How about you?
0: I also have my tea. It is cold here, but not snowy. I'm in New Hampshire. I don't know if you know that. So um, similar, but different climate to Colorado.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you get winters up there for sure.
0: Yes, yes. Um, So far, we've had like a couple winter like intense winter days but then some wolves so we're getting the best of all of it
1: (laughs) yeah it's the same here i'm from the east coast originally and um, i'm from upstate new york and there i mean the winters are just long and brutal Mm -hmm. and in colorado you get winter but you also get like respite from winter so not everyone has vitamin d deficiencies and seasonal affective disorder it's a little bit easier to get through that long part of the year
0: yeah for sure for sure So to start us off, can you tell the listeners um, a little bit about yourself? And that can be both in and outside of music therapy.
1: Sure. So um, I ended up where I'm at currently as a licensed professional counselor and board certified music therapist through a long winding road, undergraduate degree was in music, I, I thought I was more interested in making music and recording music. I had always taken I took a bunch of psychology classes in my undergraduate degree and then senior year of undergraduate I find out there's a thing called music therapy and then that plants a seed and so it was a nice pivot a couple of years after graduating I I ended up in a in a, a graduate program like a master's equivalency and that was in also I was on the on the east coast so I got a degree in music therapy in the state of New York creative arts therapy and, um, and interned in, 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 in the populations I've worked with, I mean, I'm sure this is a pretty common thing on your show, but it's also been a long winding road from what I originally thought I wanted to do to what I ended up doing, ultimately. So I interned in special education. And really liked that really liked working with kids, and found myself more and more drawn to mental health. ended up moving to Colorado, shortly after um, shortly after licensure or certificate. See, I get it mixed up because I have a lot of letters after my name. So the MTBC is certification and the LPC is licensure. So I moved to Colorado shortly after I get that MTVC, and get really interested in doing uh, also doing psychotherapy, verbal psychotherapy, traditional talk therapy and other kinds of therapy besides music. So here I took some additional coursework and also did kind of an equivalency thing and ended up now doing both so i spent a lot of time working in child trauma in a residential facility and day treatment program working with children who've had experiences of trauma abuse and neglect as well as their families and then more recently i am in a private practice that was founded by a byzantine catholic deacon so there's a spiritual identity to our practice, and I'm assuming that's how I ended up on your podcast, because I occasionally get emails from people who who Google music therapy, Christianity, music therapy, Eastern Christian, and they get a little blog post I wrote for our website, and then they wonder, oh, this is interesting. What is it like being a music therapist working for a um, a Catholic counseling agency? So that's the long and short of it.
0: Yeah, what a what a beautiful journey though. Um yes, you are right and also I've had listeners plural reach out to me who just are finding they struggle balancing their Christian identity and presenting themselves as a professional. And um, I've reached out to a couple different people who weren't necessarily ready to talk on that. So thank you for coming on the show today to um, share your story and your message and your ideas and uh, help those listeners who are, are looking for that type of um, content and validation and reassurance.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a journey for all of us. And in some ways... I think it's a conversation that has broader applications and i think uh, i I assume you know your listeners are coming from all different traditions and backgrounds Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and in part it maps onto the bigger conversation of how do we how do we manage all of our identities as clinicians because Mm -hmm. each of us enter enter the room enter the session with our cultural identities with our gender identities with our beliefs and of course, we abide by the AMTA ethics code, but we can't erase our identities in the session. And so many of your your listeners that are emailing you about these questions about Christianity, you know, I suspect part of where that's coming from is this sense that for people of faith, faith is the most important aspect of their lives. And so they're thinking like, well, this is this is me. Do I turn it off? Do I keep it on? How do I manage that? And I, I think I appreciate the fact that people are wrestling with those questions. I think they're they're interesting questions. And I think there's a lot of fruit there.
0: Yeah. So you're obviously in an interesting situation, like you said, you're working in a setting where that's the basis of the work you're doing anyway. Um so what's what is that like? Like do you do you find you have to compartmentalize things, or is it really just nice to all be under the understanding that even though you come from different walks of life, this is one path that you all share and you can do your work from that framework.
1: It's a good question. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways I, I want to say upfront, I don't have all the answers, you know, it's a journey. It's uh, so we're going to just have a fun conversation and see where it goes. And then maybe it'll, maybe it'll inspire more conversations to happen with, with your audience and they can, they can contact you and we can go from there. So first things first, you know, I, I don't only work with uh, Christian clients. I work with anyone. I have plenty of clients who are, um, have no faith or are secular or um, uh, a scenario that's pretty common is um get a referral from a very, uh, very devout Christian family to work with one of their uh, children, maybe an adolescent child, and the adolescent child is not interested in the tradition they were they were raised in. So I'm uh, I'm pretty person-centered, you know. My my training in grad school is very person-centered. I I love telling people I'm like, how many degrees? One, two, three degrees from Carl Rogers because of a professor I had who was taught by someone who was taught by Carl Rogers. So so I go into I go into my work pretty focused on the client and their experience. But with that said, the majority of my caseload now is working with Christian clients, Christian families, in particular Catholic families. So. Maybe this will be point number one. It doesn't answer your question, but I really wanted to get to it, so I think I should just say it now because okay. I'm, I'm liable to forget. I think it's important for all music therapists, uh, people of faith, not people of no faith, to have the cultural competencies to know a bit about like who they're working with, and and I know that's a big part of our training as music therapists. You know we work with clients who come from very different backgrounds from our own and honestly sometimes it almost feels like a little bit of a blind spot where i have had many colleagues both in music therapy and in um in mental health counseling and social workers who had a lot of cultural competence but would you know tell their protestant christian or evangelical christian families oh you know uh, have a good time at sunday mass <laughs> or um would be working with catholic Clients and maybe bring in Protestant hymns from you know the 18th or 19th centuries, some of which have anti Catholic undertones. These are cultural competencies. So it is good, I think, for any music therapist, especially in the West, where you're pretty likely to work with a Christian family at some point Mm. to have a sense of just a you know basic sense of the different expressions of Christianity in in our world. So I think for starters, it's nice to know that the vast majority of people alive today who call themselves Christian belong to one of three general streams, um, Catholic church, which includes both Eastern and Western rites, And we can talk about that different forms of Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy and different forms of Protestant Christianity. So it's um a bit confusing, but here at Mount Tabor, we have an Eastern Catholic identity. So most many people don't know this that um, the Catholic Church is a is a big umbrella and it has a western a very, very big Western structure, um, often referred to as Roman Roman Catholic. And then there are many of these Eastern churches that, originate in different parts of the world, like the Middle East, for example, there's a Maronite church that originates in uh, Syria and Lebanon and uh, different kinds of Byzantine Catholicism that originate in, in Russia and Greece. And, um, Eastern Europe and Deacon Basil, the founder of Mount Tabor is a deacon in the Russian Byzantine Catholic church. That's 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 something. I'm curious, kind of, if if this any of this is new for you, or do you think it's new for your listeners? And uh, I'm just kind of, I'm I want to have a dialogue about it. So I'm curious what uh, your thoughts are.
0: Um, I honestly, as you were talking, I'm thinking, oh, great, this is a wonderful history lesson <laughs> because um, it can it can be a blanket like Christian can be a blanket label or Catholic can be a blanket label, and while we are being called to have so many different cultural competencies. Um, I feel like Christian and Catholic are ones that might be easier to blanket because we think we understand them, even though we, as you're showing, as you're saying, like we don't, there there are intricacies that you can very easily be unaware of. even like you said, using hymns that have anti-Catholic undertones, but, you know, it's a it's a Christian, song, we'll say, and um, you think you're doing something within cultural competence, and you might not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, especially from the the musical perspective, because each of these traditions has a rich musical history. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of, like, for example, music therapists who work in end-of-life care, where you know, try as you might, you you probably can't avoid spiritual issues. If you work in end of life care for any length of time, clients are going to want, oftentimes in my experience, I'll say clients want some kind of hymn in their session. They want to hear hymns that have meaning because meaning making is a big part of um, end of life work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Knowing, you know, you don't have to be an expert in everything. And, uh, you know, boy, oh, boy. I mean, I've worked with clients who've come from very different traditions from my own. And, uh, you know, I've had to, uh, it's been a learning curve and it's been a great learning curve. But it's good to have some sense of what um, different, what the different music sounds like. And for Christians, I can speak, so I can speak for myself in the the Catholic tradition. I think in the Catholic tradition and uh, in the Orthodox traditions, music is really tied to liturgy and liturgy is the central the 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 bread and butter of the christian life for orthodox and catholic christians liturgy is the is the worship liturgy is the celebration liturgy is the sacrifice and especially if you ever attend a you know an eastern orthodox liturgy or byzantine catholic liturgy you it's almost i mean the ratio of singing to speaking is definitely skewed in favor of singing there is constant Chanting happening. Music is such an integral part of the liturgy. So I suppose that's another important thing for music therapists to know is that there are different kinds of music and some of it really is central to a very sacred experience. And um, it makes me wish that in our sessions, we, you know, uh, the Nordoff Robbins music therapists are so lucky when they get two music therapists in a room It'd be nice if we could have you know five at all times so we can have po- polyphonic chant. But uh, I suppose music therapists flying solo have to do the best they can. But just to know that a lot of the a lot of the chant in liturgical music is really central to the life of Christians in those traditions.
0: Yeah. Well said. Well said. So um, let's see. So. I'm going to shift gears, I guess. So when you are leading a session and again, you're, you're in a special setting where, um, there are, you have that undertone of that. So what in your practice does it look like to set boundaries with clients? Because, um, a lot of clinicians who are not in a setting that might foster that uh, in a conversation about your own personal practice to be appropriate, um, you know, if a client says something, if a client asks something, if they want to go somewhere that you're not competent or not comfortable, what has your experience been like with that and setting those boundaries?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. And it's a good question for me because even though I'm I'm in a pretty big city, working with any time anytime a therapist works with works within a niche especially a cultural niche, they are very likely to run into clients outside of their work. Mm -hmm. You know, this comes up, for example, with music therapists who have sort of special competencies to understand uh, LGBTQ sensitivities and cultural issues, and they might very well see clients out and about. And it's the same thing for Christian music therapists, and it's even more true of Eastern Catholic music therapists. So I, I try to be a little bit of a, you know, I'm not a blank slate but I do set some boundaries. And I, for example, I don't tell my clients where I worship, um, where I, which parish I attend, you know, where my family, uh, which kind of religious community, my family is connected to, but I do tell my clients, you might see me out and about. And then of course I talk about HIPAA, Mm -hmm. talk about how, you know, I'm not being rude. I'm not being mean. I just won't acknowledge you until you acknowledge me. And if you acknowledge me, then we can, we can chat as much as you want in the session. I do go there when spirituality is brought up. I really do. I mean, I think it's a strength and there is a lot of really interesting research on on religiosity as a protective factor in particular with, with depression. If you want a good, this will be the first book recommendation. If you want a good book on this, there is a, it's really philosophical. So if your listeners don't get into that, that's fine. But there's a book called resilience and the virtue of fortitude Aquinas in dialogue with the psychosocial sciences big big title again resilience and the virtue of fortitude by Craig Stephen Titus and the first part of that book there's a nice overview it's like a lit review of um of the ways that spir- spirituality and religiosity can build up resilience so for that reason I don't shy away from that I mean I think it's like we should we should in um empower our clients if they have protective factors and resilience factors and strengths. So oftentimes let's say when a client, when a client has a pretty rich prayer life, we can bring that into the session. We can pray together if the client wants. And sometimes with children, I mean, this is this is really sweet. You know, sometimes with children who um, pray with their families, you know I've had a few clients who um, have, are kids with anxiety. Maybe like uh, I'm thinking of clients with anxiety around nighttime and night uh, fears about nighttime and sleep. and composing original prayers in the session that they can take home with them. Mm-hmm. And those prayers are like, you know, ultimately, Christians believe prayers are communication with the divine. But also prayers are like cognitive restructuring tools, you know. So one thing that we love at Mount Tabor is seeing where the psychological and the spiritual meet. And that would be one example. You know, there there's a lot of research out there on Eastern spiritual practices or practices that have eastern roots, like mindfulness meditation and how that changes the brain. And what people don't know is there's actually not as much yet, but there's similar research emerging on contemplative Christian practices that have a similar effect. So many of the kinds of prayers that Eastern Christians pray are repetitive, mantra-like. They're psychosomatic. They include breath work. They include physical tactile sensations, like the, the prayer beads of the rosary. And Contemplative prayer, of course, first and foremost, contemplative prayer, again, is contact with the divine, but it's secondarily um, a wellness practice. So why not bring a wellness practice into therapy and music therapy? Mm,
0: Well said. I'm really glad too that you touched on the different sensory parts of that. Um, Yeah, I feel like that's something that we, we strive towards in our intervention so much to find ways to incorporate these different senses and incorporate different domains. And here's a practice that is already set up to do that. These are tools your client might already be familiar with and you can foster... Um, a musical experience through that and uh, you know creating your own prayers they can take that with them Um, allowing them to bring their rosary into the session and use that tool that they're familiar with is really beautiful and um, I'm excited to see this emerging research to to hear more about that and do you want to share more about uh, dive more into that I
1: was just on the phone actually with Deacon Basil um, before we started because I couldn't remember the name of this place but there's a Russian Orthodox parish in Puerto Rico that one of the priests published d- doctoral research. Oh, let me see if I can find it. It's like, um, I mean, for me, this is what I geek out over. I was like, so excited to, to read about this when I first heard about it, something like, you know, the, um, the psychosomatic effects of hesychastic prayer on d- mixed depression and anxiety clients so there's that's like that's my jam um and yeah you you i like that you picked up on that multi-sensory theme because if um if you ever get a chance to just go and sit in on any kind of eastern christian liturgy it's amazing how kid friendly it is Mm. there's a byzantine catholic parish here in town that recently removed all their pews no pews and that's, they're sort of returning to a more ancient tradition. You know, there weren't always pews to sit in. And they keep pews on the side for elderly or um, disabled uh, parishioners. But because there's no pews, the kids are like wandering around the whole time. And like I say, there's constant music. So that's auditory. There's incense, which is olfactory. There are icons everywhere in the church, which is visual. There, There is, um, you know, sitting and standing and kneeling, which is... um which, which activates the sense of touch as well as you know holy water and um, and kissing the icons of course not now during covid <laughs> and then finally there's um there's the sense of taste there's gustatory experience when we receive this is the height of the christian liturgy when we receive communion so it's like wow all five senses are active in Christian liturgy that's like that's pretty cool that's one example of um ancient wisdom anticipating like, more recent developments in occupational therapy and multi-sensory music therapy. And we try to incorporate that as much as we can in our sessions. I mean, I do a lot of music work with my clients who are younger. And I do often try to think about ways to make those experiences multi-sensory. And there's a spiritual significance to that for me. You know, again, a, a lot of a lot of the spiritual stuff I think is implicit. It's like in the background. Like if you saw a video of my session and you saw a video of someone else's session, you might not tell who's doing Christian, quote unquote, who's the Christian music therapist. But when I reflect on my practice, I'm kind of thinking about it spiritually. So, for example, the fact that in music therapy, we do have such a rich sensory modality fits really nicely with this belief in in Catholic theology that human humans are not disembodied spirits floating around and we're not disembodied we're not spirits that are trapped in some kind of cage where body and soul composite together and there's a really great christian tradition of emphasizing the the fundamental goodness of the material part of who we are and of course you know we believe as christians that we get that part that part is permanent that part is redeemed and resurrected so the fact that the physical has a spiritual significance means that the sensory also has a spiritual significance. I know that's a little heady. I hope it's not too heady.
0: No, I love it. Um, you're you're speaking my language from a different lens, and I love that so much. Um, and I, the image you created of this place of worship with only necessary pews, I'll say, you know, for those who need to sit in such a setting, but just like the idea of being in a place of worship with all of this sensory stuff going on and then the children walking around and being able to interact with those things on their own terms is just like warming my heart. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not for everyone, but I I love that image so much. <laughs>
1: yeah actually thinking on it more i mean someone should write an article about that like as a like asd friendly way of worship you (laughs) like you get to like wander around and like interact with all these physical things and and then also you have um like this very regulatory experience because there's predictability and structure built in as well Mm -hmm. i mean like oh my gosh that's another that's another dissertation waiting to happen
0: i look forward to seeing your research (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, one of these days, if I ever, uh, yeah, if I ever do that PhD, then uh, for sure, there's probably some some fruit there. Um, yeah, so I guess I want to go back because I feel like I am kind of sidestepping the question. So I want to clarify more about that because I know the impetus for this podcast was some listeners reaching out to you saying like, "Hey, I'm confused. I'm a Christian and I'm a music therapist. How can I be both? Is it okay to be both?" And that was like you asking me to be on this podcast. So. Again, I will say that I I think the boring and unfortunate answer is that just externally, unless I'm working with a Christian client, you might not know. (laughs) It doesn't look any different. In fact, as I was preparing for this podcast, I I was doing some digging. And there's a pioneer of music therapy who was a Catholic nun sister josepha uh S C H O R S C H, uh s-c-a-o-r-s-c-h and she actually has a chapter in the like the original e gaston music in therapy book so this is like our heritage back to day one and i'm imagining and she was a sister of saint joseph and i'm imagining this religious sister practicing music therapy i think she um, she worked with uh, developmentally disabled children as well as children with um behavioral disorders. And unless she was wearing a religious habit which some religious people wear, you probably wouldn't know that she was a Christian music therapist. You would just think, oh, cool. like she's she's found ways to encourage um, communication and motor development through music. And I maybe that's unsatisfying, but a lot of the the ways that we bring our identities into our work are implicit. On the other hand, I assume if you asked her um, why she got into music therapy, I bet you anything in the world she would say, you know, I, I'm i motivated by my faith to care for others. I motivate, like in particular, I'm motivated because of our Christian faith that emphasizes um, emphasizes the less fortunate or the or the needy or anyone who doesn't, who's kind of underprivileged and I want to help them. You know, maybe she'd say something like that. And so, for many Christian music therapists, I think their motivations for entering the field are inspired in part by their faith. I think they're hopefully their faith is also inspiring them to be the best music therapist they can be to keep up with research to do good work. But there's not some like secret set of music therapy, Christian interventions that like only we have access to (laughs) unless, you know, unless you're doing a hesychastic prayer, psychosomatic, hesychastic prayer, but that requires special training. And you have to go talk to those, um, those Russian uh, Orthodox priests in Puerto Rico to learn about that.
0: (laughs) I'll try to find uh, the proper links to put in the show notes so people can find that. But, um, so this next question, um, I'm not sure you'll have an answer or if there is an answer, but you mentioned like physically there is nothing that displays my faith unless I I choose to do that kind of a thing, you know, unless I choose to wear a habit. Um I had a a peer in college um who wore a cross necklace and that was part of her practice and she was almost she felt discouraged to wear that to the clinical setting. Um, and it stemmed from feeling that she may be perceived in a certain way or maybe judged or maybe be, um, we even talked about like internship applications and she was not sure if she should wear it for an internship applications and just not feeling comfortable to present that part of herself so openly. Uh, in a situation where she wasn't sure how that was going to be received so like I said you might not have an answer um, but like do you have anything to say for someone in a situation like that
1: yeah this is part of what makes the Christian life so deeply personal is that some of these questions we all have to answer for ourselves and we have to answer in different ways you know not everyone is called to the religious life I mean you know again I'm speaking from the Catholic tradition but those who are might very well be called to wear some distinctive clothing or distinctive articles daily and part of that's good i have a friend who's a priest who wears a full cassock i mean you know he says sometimes people walk up to him and they don't really know what he is if if he's like going to the star wars convention but they know he's some kind of spiritual guy and they talk to him and he's had amazing encounters because he wears that uh yeah, I wear I wear a crucifix. I wear it underneath a, a button-up shirt, so clients don't usually see it, but it's a reminder for me of who I am and what I do. And I've also heard stories, you know, I, I, I work briefly in a in a hospital on the East Coast in the um pediatric unit. And I've heard stories of 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 patients who saw a crucifix or a cross necklace um on their nurse or doctor. And that the sight of that was like immensely uh meaningful for them it was hopeful and they had some um feeling of of solidarity with their healthcare provider which is always a good thing Mm. you know i've worked with a family uh, as a music therapist who were who were um, devout muslims from syria and it's funny because in some ways i felt like we could connect because at the time I was worshiping with a Maronite Catholic church and they had a, uh, like a sort of Middle Eastern festival every year. And I actually, you know, this family, I would see them at that festival. And so while we didn't share the same faith tradition, the cultural traditions overlapped. So there's so many different factors. You know, I think, yeah, many Christians, that's the one article they will wear. That's the one, um, that's the one physical tangible thing that they do carry around with them that identifies them to others as Christians? I don't know that I don't know that there's any big reason not to. But I I think sometimes, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get caught up in a little bit of the um the kind of cultural anxieties, you know. Mm-hmm. I think some Christians I mentioned earlier that religiosity is a protective factor, that's true. There's also research on ways that um, religiosity can correlate with mental health, deleterious mental health effects. And sometimes different faith traditions will emphasize different aspects of their theology. And suppose they emphasize a lot of this kind of um, us versus them mentality. I could see that causing perhaps some distress. And I think that's part of every Christian's journey. I mean, I think anyone coming from a faith tradition at a certain point has to work through these questions of, I have beliefs that are very, very dear to me that most people don't share. And how do I balance that without becoming reactionary and like retreating from public life, but also, and, or without um you know like irritating everyone i know but also without compromising the things that are most important to me Mm -hmm. so that's those are maybe the prompts to bring to prayer to meditation and ultimately also to dialogue with other people other christians who have answered those questions in their own ways
0: yeah thank you for um having this dialogue today and and posing those those questions and um i i love your passion for the research on this topic and also your openness to share your own experiences and be vulnerable so i i really appreciate that and i i want to honor that and acknowledge it um before we started recording you said you had just like a lot of resources and tabs open so i just want to let you share whatever's top of your minds whatever uh, you're feeling called to, to tell those listening.
1: Right on. Well, the first thing that I think Christian music therapists can reflect on is the fact that there are biblical origins of our profession, and it's always fun to return to a passage in a book of the, of the, of the Bible called uh, First Samuel, and it's chapter 16, and in chapter 16, you have David essentially providing music as a palliative. And, um, as far as I know, it's, I, I, I want to say maybe the earliest written or one of the earliest, uh, written descriptions of, of essentially music therapy. So that's something that Christian music therapists can be proud of. And of course, Jewish music therapists, the next thing I have are two book recommendations and uh, they're both in, in psychotherapy. So again, you know, I'm coming from that world too, where I practice psychotherapy, not just music therapy. But I think, you know, music therapists tend to find ways to incorporate those things. You know, some music therapists do practice like cognitive behaviorally. So so I have two book recommendations and they're really, I'm going to be really ecumenical because one is written by a a Protestant Christian and the other is written by an Orthodox Christian. So I don't even have a book recommendation uh, for Catholics. So you're out, you're out of luck, (laughs) Catholic listeners. Okay. Um, The first one is a book called Ancient Christian Wisdom and aaron beck's cognitive therapy and it's by father alexis trader and i can send you that stuff if you want to put it in the show notes now this book is really fun because this um, orthodox priest draws on what are called the the desert fathers in, in eastern christianity basically ancient monks who sometimes lived solitary lives in the desert or in community with others and Some of these ancient Christian monks developed methods of dealing with the spiritual life that actually anticipate cognitive behavior therapy. So in Christianity, you may have heard of a popular concept called the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins were originally the eight evil thoughts. And these were thoughts that a a monk named Evagrius thought get in the way of life. So he basically decided to come up with a treatment manual where he gave a cognitive remedy for each of these thoughts and a behavioral remedy. And this priest, Father Trader, brings that ancient stuff into dialogue with Aaron Beck and with, you know, some of the latest cognitive therapy. So that's a fun book. The other one I have is called Faith-Based Act for Christian Clients. And this is by Joshua Nabb and ACT is just a treatment modality that I get really excited about. ACT is, um, refers to acceptance and commitment therapy. It's a, it's a third wave cognitive therapy. There's a lot of good research behind it, and it's really cool to see the way this book finds parallels in the Christian life because one of the basic problems that all spiritual traditions have to wrestle with is suffering. Why is there suffering? In fact this is like the fundamental question in in the Buddhist faith tradition right in the Buddhist spiritual tradition I should say and there are different ways of dealing with suffering we can try to run from it we can try to numb it we can try to avoid it but typically those ways of dealing with suffering don't make it any less bad and sometimes they make it worse in the long run so ACT is a therapy that's all about learning to learning to live with what's there and still have a meaningful life and that's like perfect fit for like integrating christian theology with psychotherapy. So this book Faith-Based Act has a lot of fun snippets and kind of like little biblical applications on how to work with christian clients to have that new more accepting attitude towards their own suffering. Yeah.
0: Um it sounds like that would be even just very obviously ACT is ACT is based in this, but it would be very applicable for um a faith-based clinician to apply in a setting where faith was not the base of what you're doing but you know, adapt it as such. So thank you for sharing those resources and I will I will link everything in the show notes so those listening can also dive in and um, yeah, do do their own research and um, use your prompts and hopefully feel um, more, validated and supported in their experiences and um, their decisions moving forward.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. I know I've I blasted people with a lot of resources, but um, yeah, you know, I think um, it's been fun just kind of thinking about these questions anew because like it's easy to Kind of get into the day to day grind and like forget to take that step back and think about, you know, how to balance these big things like our identities and our faith and our beliefs. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's been helpful. And, um, you know, if, if you get any follow up questions, I'm, I'm happy to reach out again.
0: Thank you. All right. Do you have anything you want to add before we do the rapid fire questions?
1: Oh, no, let's get into it.
0: All right. The questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. The first one is coffee or tea. Uh, Coffee. Early bird or night owl?
1: Mm, Both, actually.
0: Good for you. (laughs) Uh, Something you would tell your younger self?
1: Mm. Oh, I'd say go buy a book on ACT.
0: (laughs) Good one. Um, Your music therapy elevator speech?
1: Oh, okay. Let's see if I can do it. Music therapy—it's an allied health profession. We use music to help people. We work on non-musical goals. That's what makes us different from music teachers.
0: Wow, well said. And you got that—that um, that comparison there. Well, with sometimes you only have
1: one floor to go up, you know, in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be quick. It's rapid fire, right?
0: Well, yeah. You know, you're doing you're very quick with these. Your favorite self-care practice?
1: Oh uh, well, you know, we've been talking about spirituality, so I'll say that. Um, you know, uh, prayer, worship in the liturgy. That's, that's as good as it gets for me. But, um, speaking of how you know the physical can be important too, uh, exercise, exercise has been really helpful lately. So yeah, working out.
0: Good for you. Something that's currently adding value to your life.
1: Hmm. Probably the big stack of books sitting next to me. And um, and the fact that I have some close friends who are expecting, that's really fun.
0: That's awesome. It seems yeah, like... Speaking of
1: community, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that season, I've noticed, a, a lot of people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a corona virus connection too, you know, I, everyone's locked up inside, you know, who knows?
0: <laughs> it's it's like the Corona baby boomers. That's, that's probably what, I'm saying. what our I generation wonder. will be known as. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, too funny. Uh, your favorite intervention or song to use in a session?
1: Oh, that's impos- That's an impossible question. I know. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm doing lately. Uh, lately, I really like songwriting with clients. I'm a big fan of songwriting because that's where I, that's where the um, music therapy and the psychotherapy get to meet. So we get to write songs that have like act themes in them.
0: Yeah, you're very good at distilling your answers. Um, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you?
1: Um, well right now at Mount Tabor counseling, so you can go on our website, uh, Mount Tabor, T-A-B-O-R com, And there you'll have uh, my contact info and people are more than welcome to shoot me an email. Um, it's my name at Mount Tabor counseling.com. You want to ask me any questions about what I've talked about today and get you some more resources
0: awesome thank you again for making the time to come on and sharing resources and sharing your experience and uh having this conversation because like i said there's lots of people have asked about this and you came on and said like i don't have the answers but let's talk and i really i really appreciate that so thank you so much
1: thank you take care
0: you too bye Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out the resources. Should they be the type of content you're looking for? As always, um, they'll be linked in the show notes as well as Christopher's contact information. So you can reach out to him if you'd like. Um, he's very easy to talk to and I appreciate his openness to having conversations with everyone about this topic that maybe you want to explore but aren't sure where to start or who to talk to if you're looking for a way to support the podcast you can always follow us on social media at music therapy chronicles and don't forget to check out mt podcast collective online and on social media we have four podcast bundle cmtes live on our website Kate and I are so excited for it. Um, This is a great way to support the podcast. It's a great way for you to get CMTEs for the listening you've already been doing. uh, Again, 50% of all launch sales will be donated to music therapy scholarships. And if you're a podcaster, please reach out because we want to collaborate with you. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you again so much for making the time to tune in. Our quote this week comes from 1 Samuel sixteen sixteen, the KJV translation. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well.